For many of us, riding bikes begins as a childhood activity, building around the local neighbourhood, learning to wheelie and launching off gutters. But in some parts of the world it goes beyond an after-school activity. Neighbourhoods riddled with kids outdoing each other on the bike can build into pushing for national titles. These hotbeds of talented young riders develop more as the years go by, leaving a legacy behind them. It turns out Johan Borelli grew up in such a hotbed in the south of France. He started riding with his brother and future world champion Fabian Borel, but the town is also home to legendary downhill racer Nico Velo. There's much racing history in the streets there, but for Johan, a slightly different path was taken. Most listeners will know Johan for his exuberant personality, and as it turns out, it played a large role in securing his first professional contract. But as he's matured, his outlook on life and racing has too. Johan shared how he got started in the sport, how the more recent events in his life and the world have shaped his career, and his thoughts on the environment. I'm AJ Barlas. Welcome to the seventh episode of the NSMB podcast and my conversation with Johan Borelli. Uh, welcome back, NSMB listeners. We're here in Whistler with Johan Borelli. Obviously, everyone will know that name, but we're here to chat about a few things going on in his life at the moment and some changes that potentially are coming in the near future. Uh, yeah, so Johan, welcome. Hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so on my drive up to Whistler today, I was thinking that I would do a little warm-up thing first because it's been a while since I've recorded one of these. So instead of finishing with a couple of what I call the straight shots or quick shots at the end, I'm going to start going on that and I'm pretty much free free flying right now. I don't okay. have any written down. Perfect. Um, I like it. So let's go with one. Uh, Did you actually check the side of the highway when you drove and was the highway clean or was it dirty? Oh, good question. <laughs> That's I was thinking about That's it, but I didn't question. notice any rubbish there. I'm not checking that closely though. Okay. Uh, what was your first mountain bike? Oof. I think my first mountain bike was uh, like the equivalent of a Walmart yeah. bike. And I did my first race. My, my, uh, my first race was a cross-country race in the south of France. Uh, the shifting wasn't working. I was seven-year-old. The bike was a was the bike was a full rigid. There was no f- no front suspension. It was in 1993. 93. So it's um, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even speeds? know if actually the shifting wasn't working or if it was me. I didn't know how to shift <laughs> properly. I don't I don't remember. <laughs> both. <laughs> Probably a bit of both. <laughs> but you know, it was it was the shifting. Um, do you yeah. remember this thing uh, yeah, on yeah. top of the underbar? It wasn't even the... Index. It wasn't shifters. It was index it was, shifting, It was right? index shifting, yeah. yes. It was the index shifting. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I had. Huh? And then uh, right after that... So I'm not going to call that my first mountain bike because I don't even know if it was a mountain bike. <laughs> but my first real mountain bike was a S-bike and Nico Vulios used to race this brand. S-bike? S-bike. Huh. It was like a mono... Um, Monocoque, yeah monocoque kind of bike it was red fully rigid as well and I remember it was a 24 inch red beautiful bike and uh, I remember at some point like we uh, with my parents we we upgraded it and we uh, we put a flex stem on it Oh, no way. So I had a flex stem with a flat (laughs) and a bar. (laughs) I still remember. It was amazing. But yeah, so that's 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 where it all uh, started. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, what about another one? Um, when was your first time to Canada? First time in Canada? Well, actually, 1998. I really? uh, went to Canada with my parents and my brother at the World Championship in uh, Montsantin. Right. And my brother was racing cross-country at the time. And he competed at his first World Championship in junior in Montsantin. Wow. Yeah. So your brother's a big mountain biker too. My, so we, the, that first race that I did, uh, that was the first race for my brother as well. And the first race for Fabien Barrel as well. No way. And my brother and Fabien won uh, the, the race, the overall and in end together. They tied. They tied, yeah. No they, way. They won cross country. They, I remember cross country, and they passed the finish line end in end like that. <laughs> and we grew up with uh, Fabien Barrel and Nico Vuyos in the same street. No way. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. Huh. We'll get into that in a bit because yeah. I want to talk about that that kind of scene you grew up in there. So yeah. So yeah. First time in Canada was in 1998, and then after that it was a big uh, big break, and I came back in 2013 for Crankworks. 2013. Yeah. It's a big break, yeah. That's when I started uh, racing and draw. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's do one more something. If you only had one bike to ride, what would it be? Like as far as genres go. So trail, dirt jump, downhill. Enduro bike. Enduro. Enduro bike. You can do everything with an enduro there bike. You, you can go for long days on the bike. You can go in the bike park. You can race downhill with it. You can yeah. do everything with an enduro bike. Yeah. So that would be, uh, yeah, totally. Covers a lot. Yes. Yeah. Newer geometry, like 29er and draw bike with like a new new age geometry. Yeah. 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 Cool. Kind of slack, slack uh, head angle, steep uh, seat tube, like yeah. something that's really fucking badass. <laughs> <laughs> like what you're riding now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> something that's fast. Yeah. And playful. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All right. That's, that's a good little warm up. I'll, uh, get into our discussions here cool it's like a lot of people know that you're from france and you spoke about where you grew up there and what sounds like a pretty full-on street to grow up in <laughs> <laughs> for mountain biking but like how did how did you get into bikes and like what got you into the racing was it was it your neighbors on the street was it something else so basically with my brother we uh like everybody rides bike when when we are kids, like everybody uh, rides bikes. And then one day with my brother, we were playing in our um, in our garden, in our front yard. And we had uh, like a little dirt road who was linking to a trail. And one day we were playing there and we had like a, like a cross-country race coming in our front yard. And Nico Vuyos was part of the race, cross-country race. Oh, right. And, uh, and we kind of looked at each other and we were like, oh, we kind of like that. We want to race as well. And then I think like maybe a month later, that's where we signed up for that first race in the village next door. Yeah. And we uh, we competed. And so that was the start of uh, Fabien, Fabien Barre's career, my brother's career. Like everything started to, to grow from there. And in that tiny little village, Pay, which probably is like 2,000 inhabitants. Even now. Well, two or three, I'd say. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty small. Huh? Yeah. And we were like, after a few years, maybe 20 to 30 kids racing. 
wow. and going together at the races and doing all these kind of things and like just after school going like build jumps and like sketchy jumps <laughs> <laughs> as kids do as kids do and uh yeah just spending uh every day on the bike it was cool. uh it was super cool yeah yeah so and that did everyone kind of rally around each other because of a few key guys like were you and your brother sort of the older ones getting into it and everyone else saw you and wanted to do that too or i think that the synergy started with uh, nico yeah. racing and nico was like a big influence and uh fabian barrel after my brother the same mm -hmm. and then uh like right away they were really good like my brother was winning uh, french cups and international races in cross country wow. and went to the world champ in uh uh, Monsantan, I think he got like top 10 in junior for his first year, and the year after he became world champion in junior. And is this XC at that point? Or is... XC, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Fabian Barrel was uh, winning a junior title as well. Nico Vuyos was the same. So basically, everybody kind of followed that movement, and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and that's Pia, is that how you pronounce it? How do you pronounce the town you're from? Pei. P E I L L E. Yeah. yeah they used to do a race uh, they still do it actually now huh? uh, Darnil race it was like this really rocky uh, rocky sketchy Darnil track right. where it was early in the season and all the teams uh, big teams giants and like I don't know a bunch of European brands would come uh, at the beginning of the season and basically if the bikes were holding on together at this race, that was a good uh, sign. Like you could go and race every type of terrain after. Yeah. That was a good, uh, like the perfect test. It was a strength test. Yeah. This was <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Are the wheels uh, holding together? Yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pretty prestigious area, hey? Like, yeah. is that the same town Loic grew up in? Or Just is it uh, Loic, Loic grew up uh, 20 minutes. Uh, 20 minutes down beside, yeah, down and the road. Loris as well. Loris is town? a neighbor of uh, of Loic. Wow. This is, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. That's uh, Karim Amour, Julian Camellini. Oh, really? Yeah. No way. All, uh, all in the same uh, in the same area. Huh. Camellini was another sort of a low protege, wasn't he? Yeah, he, st he started. Uh, so he was just one year older than me, I think. And in junior, he was. Uh, he was a machine. Mm. Like he was, uh, he was completely. He was a little bit like Samil. Yeah. Same kind of guy. And he went in uh, into elite, and everybody had like super high expectation on him. And uh, and he never. Uh, he was good. Like I think he did one podium in his career in World Cup. Yeah. But that was uh, kind of it. Yeah. And then he, I think now he owns a bike shop in the south of France. Okay. But yeah, there's a. Ton of lot names. of lot of good riders from the from the south of France, yeah. That's not where everyone comes from, though, eh? Like they must like Amaury's not from that area, is he? Amaury is uh, more like center of okay. the France. Yeah. So there is a. But Remy Metayer, Remy Metayer is from the same area, south As of you? France. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. I thought Remy was from a slightly different area. Yeah, no, oh. there's a. Like in slope style, there is a team Branger. Team Branger is same same area. There's so many. Wow. Uh, what what is it? Is it Adrien Day? Same in Enduro. Daily, yeah, Daily. yeah. Is it from over there? Yeah. So like Florian Nicolai, same. 
how? How does this... I don't know. <laughs> is it is there a big push in France for from like the governing body for cycling or? Well, I think the the French Federation of Cycling is um, they are pulling quite a bit of money. Like even though we we used to complain a lot and say, well, they they put all the money into the road and stuff right. like that. I think that we we had quite a big structure in mountain bike mm -hmm. and they used to organize a bunch of like team camps in the winter like training camps like with athletes in the winter all together yeah before the before the races like really uh, important races like european championship and uh, world championships like we used to have camps right and doing some proper uh, training stuff like timing and testing different things and yeah and i think we had this structure from a young age young age starting right. in junior like even before and uh and there's a lot of clubs like we don't have any clubs here right there's no clubs yeah there's one club in north vancouver called devo i think here in the sea to sky okay but we don't have a club right. like in france you have in every village you have a club you have a mountain bike club so and they I, put on the events and stuff like that. Yeah, and then you go, like you do every weekend, they do like a ride all together and they have coaches and stuff like that. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's alive and he brings people all together and they go to the races together. So, you know, there is a... Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. There's a really big dynamic, like group dynamic in France. Yeah. And I you can spot, it. you know, like when you have a, like a prodigy, you're like, holy shit, this kid. And then and everyone gets behind him. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's made the French a threat for many a podium for many years. Yeah. Right? Like, there's always yeah. been someone up there. But I think that Canada is now catching up a little bit. There is more structure and see all the, the talents that yeah. are popping right now from Canada. Yeah. It's it's still different though, right? Like, it's, it's more like individual coaching exactly. outfits being yeah. like, hey, this kid could yeah, do yeah. something. Like, it's still uh, like people are really isolated still yeah. in Canada. Yeah. So it's hard to know who is who is fast here. Who's, uh, but there's a lot that are coming out. Yeah, there's a few names that I can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you're probably seeing quite a few now. Watch out, this little girl in couple years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's like you did a lot of racing, and I, I checked your results. You had like top ten junior World Cup downhill results. Yeah, you've top twenty in elite. Yeah, World Cup downhill. But the first time I heard of you was uh, when I stumbled across some video, How to Become a Pro Mountain Biker. <laughs> Do you remember that video? Oh, yeah, I, remember. <laughs> I watched it back and I'll link it in the, uh, in the article for this. But that was the I start of my career. That, that's how was my it? Started. Oh, yeah. That's how my career started. The funniest shit ever. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen that kind of energy or anything in mountain biking at the time. No. So it was really... No, it, it was, was really it was, good uh, to see. Like I, basically, what I've realized. So in back in uh, that was in 2013, I think. So basically, I've raced since 1993. In 2004, I became uh, elite French champion. So that was kind of uh, the peak of my career in downhill. Then 2005, I think I got like almost top 15 at the world championship in elite. Right. 2006 was still good. 2007, like shit was happening. I kind of quit a little bit racing. I went to Australia to travel and do, do some shit. And I came back. And basically during all that time, there was no money in mountain biking. Right. It could be like top 15 at, at Worlds and there was no money. 
No right. support, no nothing. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but then I went to Australia and then I came back and started to race in uh, 2009 again. And the level really went super high. That's when Samuel was completely dominating everything. Yeah. And the level went crazy. And I was starting to race Daniel again in the World Cup. And I couldn't even pass the quali. Like I was, oh. <laughs> I was completely lost. <laughs> so when you took that, that break, were you, was it a break from riding as well? You weren't even riding your Com bike? Completely no riding for a huh. year and a half. I didn't race. I didn't ride. I didn't do anything. I, huh. just, I just wanted to do something else. To yeah. uh, learn English. That's why I went to Australia. And uh, to just parley hard. <laughs> <laughs> Good place for both. <laughs> But um, no, it was uh, interesting to come back after. Like it was yeah. tough, like really tough. And in 2012, that's when I started to race a little bit Tendro as mm. well as Darnil. And I really Just like liked French, the, French Enduros? Or? Like the Maxi Avalanche, Mega Avalanche and stuff right. like that. And I really liked this, this concept of like actually spending the full day on the bike and, uh, you know, like you get, uh, you get to ride. Yeah. And in Darnil, it's not really the case really like you you sit around a lot you wait and uh and i kind of needed to to ride i needed to ride yeah so i kind of went into enduro and in 2013 i had a really small contract with giant france and that's when the enduro world series started right so i committed to the full uh, series so I with giant france with giant france they gave me like a 2000 euro budget for the full season wow. that's like how little money uh, I was getting, I was, so I was working in the bike shop and everything. And in 2013, I showed up at the first Enduro World Series and I saw all these teams. I was like, holy shit, there's something here. You know, like there's, there's uh, brands are here, like there's amazing riders. The competition was great. And first race, I think I was like top 20 yeah. with no support. And, uh, and then right away, so I was racing for Giant France and then I saw the Giant Factory of our team and I was like, at the end of this season, I'm going to sign a contract with them. Huh. So my goal was to beat the, the Giant Factory racers, riders, right. all season. So Adam Craig, George Carlson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I did <laughs> at some of the races. And, uh, and yeah, it worked out. But during that, during that year, I was also thinking like, I need to do something else, you know? Like I wasn't, I, I didn't think that I was really good of a rider at the time. Like I was, I was a good rider, but I never had like the, I'm not a Brandon Semenuk. So, you know, I can't, I can't have the talent and the, the impact that someone like that have when he, when he does a video. Right. Like people are not going to be, wow, holy shit, he's doing something crazy. Yeah. Like I, w I wasn't that talented at the time. So I was like, I'm pretty funny. I'm pretty crazy. <laughs> So let's do something that's completely uh, different. Yeah. And there was this guy in France who was doing some tutorial stuff, like really funny. And I was like, I sh if I bring that into the mountain bike, it's going to explode. Yeah. And then sure enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so giant, giant were pumped. Everybody, everybody was pumped. And then uh, that's how I signed my first uh, professional oh, contract right. with like a mix of like good results yeah. and media. Yeah. That's how we all uh, started. Hilarious. Yeah. So your video, how to become a pro mountain biker, actually works. He, he actually did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about that. So over the years, you said that all started happening around the EWS kicking off too, and then over the years, I've heard you 
a couple of times say how thankful you are to the EWS guys like Chris Ball who mm. started it all um, because you've got a career out yeah. and you've like made a living and living this awesome life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, is it is it just gratitude or do you really think that you wouldn't have gotten to where you are today without that series? I think it was, it's um, like back in uh, like, yeah, 2013, eh? Before that, there was only a few people who were making money with Angel. So only maybe Jay Clements, Remy Absalon. They were like probably like five in the world. Yeah. And then with the creation of the Angel World Series, basically from like five, maybe 20 people became pro. Yeah. With like proper Straight salaries. Away. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. Like Richie Reed, well, Richie Reed was racing downhill, but there's a lot of people who, boof, out of the blue, suddenly they were in the light. Yeah. Well, to your and teammates, right? Like yeah, Josh, Carlson Josh Carlson wasn't really he out was, of Australia at the time. And yeah, he was he was racing cross country. He was like getting support, but he wasn't pro. Like yeah. His, that wasn't his uh, that wasn't his job. Yeah. And with Andrew, he totally uh, went into that. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah the creation of the Andrew series. I've I've, I've uh, helped a lot of riders and it's been uh it's been amazing we've been you know traveling the world and racing having like proper structure and suddenly our sport and draw became a, like a really professional sport that's yeah cool. very quickly yeah very quickly yeah yeah that's and cool. i think that for chris ball it has been like a the first couple years i'd say like it's been a huge struggle yeah because <laughs> because he went from like creating a series from nowhere to having like all these racers that are really competitive and there was like a lot of uh, <laughs> like a lot of shit happening yeah behind first. the scenes yeah like a and lot then of he's course cutting and a lot of yeah, uh, yeah yeah a lot of things like that how do you feel about the uh, classic french line call well i think that the french line was was a thing even before the android series started right and uh, that was that was the yeah the, that's the, way, that's the way it was. <laughs> like French people were not really uh, well known for <laughs> for this kind of stuff. Right. Um, but um, well, actually, yes, we were well known for this kind of stuff. And uh, I think like right away again, like the organization had to put everything in place to stop that. Right. Because for us, like we, our races in France are kind of organized loose. Mm. And for example, they're going to put like a flag. And they're going to say, if you have the flag right there, you can go on the right side of the flag, on the left side of the flag. There's no, there's no gate, really. Mm -hmm. So you can leave the trail, you can go in the grass, like you don't care. Yeah. And when we went racing through the States, for example, you have to stay on the fucking trail. Even though there is no tape, you have to stay on the trail. Like if you don't, if you leave the trail, <laughs> no bueno. <laughs> so there, it was, uh, you know, it was also the... Um, the basically the, the education right like it was also like how do we educate people to follow like one and same rule because the rules were different everywhere at the time yeah so like a french guy who just follow like the flag and just navigate his way go to the us and the rules are completely different right so chris ball had to really like work hard to unify everything and the rules are the rules and if you don't follow the trail, if you're outside, you get a penalty, which was... <laughs> <laughs> which happened a few times. Which happened a lot of times. <laughs> 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 but 
but there was also this thing with like you know the practice like at first the practice were completely open so people right. were showing up like one week before the races and practicing a shit ton of like riding all the trails that they could yeah like there was this whole uh, thing yeah so it was pretty uh, interesting <laughs> it's it's definitely developed and grown really quickly yeah, eh? yeah. like yeah, yeah now it's tr now it's really structured i think and yeah. you can't really uh you can't cheat anymore no you can't cut the course it's yeah not, I don't, that's it's not like possible. And cheating might be a bit harsh but yeah yeah it's it's much more level playing field exactly now. yeah yeah there's still uh, probably some some yeah there's probably some people who still uh, do this kind of stuff but yeah. yeah what can you do so the ews you raced that for full time for six years five years 2013 till uh, basically uh, last year 2019 2019 was that the first year you took a couple of events uh off i guess you could yes. say yes no 2000 and uh 2018 that's when i took um couple events off that's when i became a dad and we uh -huh. uh, like i decided to uh, take off two uh, two events yeah to stay a little bit more uh, here yeah and uh, last year uh, 2019 that's when i got injured right and uh, i only raced two races three races okay it didn't go well it didn't go well, <laughs> it didn't go well. <laughs> you weren't up to speed with everyone else yeah it wasn't it was uh it was he, he was here and then he was not like i think he was not at the beginning then he came then mechanicals happened and stuff right. like that so he wasn't like yeah it wasn't and then i got hurt and yeah how's that sort of work for you in the enduro world series stuff and racing like in, you can be riding amazingly well feeling strong and fit and then mechanicals can just ruin your entire trip. Yeah. Like not even just a weekend. It could be two, three weeks worth. That's that's a part of uh, racing. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks balls. But how do you, can you manage that better or is it just sometimes bad luck? Well, I think now we can, we can manage. You mm -hmm. can, you can decide what kind of component you put on your bike. And right. there is the, I think that back in the days and still now there's some people who takes a lot of risk to, for to gain a little bit of weight on the bike. Right. So they will ride with snakeskin tires or wheels that are not really uh, very strong and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And you will see like every race is sometimes the same racers <laughs> having the same mechanical and you will be like, you don't, you don't learn. <laughs> <laughs> just, just put some real fucking tires. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I think that for me, um, Having the, 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 the freedom of, of mind to be like, my bike is strong, reliable, and I'm not going to have a mechanical. Even though it's a little bit heavier than everybody else, I don't care. At yeah. least I can just like open the gas and don't think about anything else. Yeah. Shit happens, of course, but I don't want to be thinking, oh, oh my God, if I take this rock full gas, my wheels are going to explode. I don't want that to yeah. happen. You just want to focus on your race run. I just, yeah, you just yeah. want to ride. Yeah. just don't want to think about that yeah and i guess that's why a lot of a lot of guys are running inserts and totally like you see guys running inserts mm -hmm. with downhill tires and yeah. everything yeah yeah like you see jesse or remy govern that's what i think that's what they do yeah. they have downhill casing tires and they have cush core inside yeah so they don't you don't want to have a flat tire anymore <laughs> we are in 2020 we don't want to have flat tires anymore <laughs> <laughs> this is done yeah <laughs> uh, so you took that break. Um, well, not a break. You took a step back a bit, I guess. Mm -hmm. A couple of races yeah. here and there. How did your 
partners feel feel about that? Is everything cool there? Is it a bit of a conversation you had to have or? Well, there is always a conversation to, yeah. <laughs> to have. It's true. But um, like, for example, a year like this year, huh? like very uh, special year. Huh? Yeah. Like for me to go after what we went through, to travel the world, go to do couple races in Europe just for the sake of racing, I, I don't see myself, I didn't see myself do that. Okay. I didn't want to put myself into a plane, go all the way over there for, for a bike race. Like I don't see that. Uh, I don't think it's necessary, and I don't think that we, you know, like. But that's a different. Uh, mm. Like I'm also not at the beginning of my career anymore. Yeah. Like I, under, I totally understand if like a, a 25 year old that's like in the the peak of his career is like yes, I need to do that, and that's I totally understand that. Yeah. But I'm not in the same uh, same phase of my career anymore, and I don't really need to do that. And we had conversation with partners and we we're like, well, I totally understand if uh, I take a little bit of a pay cut and that's, that's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And did that decision this year, did you make that decision pretty early? Like, well, the, so at first with, uh, with COVID, nobody knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of basically July when the races started to, uh, you know, like, okay, maybe this is going to happen and stuff. But even, uh, so I think I, I've announced that I will step away from racing this year in June, mid-June. Yeah. yeah. That's when I kind of say I'm not going to take any uh, any start of races uh, this year. Mm -hmm. And, is, and that that was you announced, is that when you announced other kind of ideas that you're working on? I yeah. So that's exactly when I announced that I will start a coaching business and I will stay here and I will focus on uh, the coaching business. Yeah. Fully. Fully. This year. This year. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving things open right now. <laughs> um, we'll get into the coaching in a bit, but you, you've got a lot of talents that we should touch on too. You're a really good photographer as well. But that seems to have kind of died down lately too. Well, it's, it's uh, the photography. It, it's kind of like it takes a lot of time. And basically, since I started the, the coaching business, I've been busy a lot. Mm, totally. <laughs> and uh, I just didn't have time uh, for it. So yeah. I, I still uh, take some photos and stuff every day. Yeah. But I'm not, uh, like I just take photos. Yeah. Like here and there, oh, I see a cool thing, bam, I'm going to take a photo. Yeah. But like I've, I think right now my focus is, the, is the, the coaching business. It was for this year. Yeah. And uh, I really want to make this thing grow. And so I, you can't, you can't be focused on too many things. Like yeah. for me, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. If I'm focused on too, too many things, I don't do things well. Yeah, yeah. So my intention with like stepping away from racing this year was to completely focus on the coaching business and to do it fully. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did the coaching thing? Um, like you've got your video series that you had in mm -hmm. the now. Yeah. Even, and even that, like even that, I didn't have uh, time to do any more videos. Right, <laughs> this year. But is that what spurred on the the actual taking into the NAR to an actual physical yeah. product mm -hmm. and coaching people with yeah. it? Yeah. So basically with the, the, the series, I had a lot of feedback and people asking, do, do, would you be willing to coach? You know? Right. 
And coaching has been something that I, uh, I started even before I moved to Canada with my brother in France. He's a, he, so he was a racer and he used to coach. He's a coach as well. And we used to do camps and stuff like that. And I, I was totally into coaching right away. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, it's a natural, uh, it's, it's kind of a natural thing to do as a racer. Like at the end of my career, huh? at, at the racing career, I'm not going to become a dentist. Right. I'm, you know, coaching <laughs> is kind of a, I have, my, I have my audience. I have a kind of a specific way to see the, the terrain and like I have my, uh, my attitude and stuff like that. And I think uh, it's, it's a natural way of, uh, you know, continuing yeah. into the mountain bike world. So you decide to go into coaching, but you have this like pretty well-followed YouTube channel too. Mm -hmm. and you could have gone the whole YouTuber yeah. sort of role. What, what sort of hit you to go the other way? And I can't, I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> 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 I've tried, you know, I've tried. Really? Yeah, yeah, I've tried. And I had this idea at some point. I was like, I think it would be cool, you know, like to, to become a YouTuber and to, and to do it fully. And uh, like, it's just, it's not me. No. It's not me. How, I, I what do you mean when you say it's not you? Because you're such a personality and you're so good in front of a camera and everything too. But I, I, like, to, I like to show that. Yeah. I like to do it like uh -huh. when I can. But I can't. I don't want to commit. Like if you, if you want to become a YouTuber, it becomes a full-time job. Yeah. Like that becomes your full-time job. Yeah. And it's the same. Like if you do different things on the side, then you can't, you can't do it properly. Right. Because you, a YouTuber, I think to, to make enough money, you have to at least do two videos a week. Two videos a week is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like that that's is. a lot. And uh, I think at like starting at 50,000 views, that's when you start to have a little revenue. Okay. But like two videos a week, 50,000 views every video. To, get, to make what? 1,000 bucks a month? <laughs> so you looked into this. Well, you, I was, I was interested and Remy, yeah. Remy is kind of doing that as well, you know, but it's like the amount of time that he spent on that, it's a, like, it's, it's a full-time job. Like yeah. he has, he's never been that busy before, Remy. Wow. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's incredible. It's huh. cool. Like it's cool, but it's not, it's not me. It's not what you wanted to do. No, I think I have some other stuff to do. Mm -hmm. I can, I'm, I'm a, I have a YouTube channel. I'm still going to do some videos. I filmed a lot during, the, even during the coaching and everything. Yeah. So I have some, uh, some videos that are ready to be edited on my laptop. But I, sometimes I look at the, the amount of minutes that I have to edit, like two hours of editing. Yeah. Like total that I have to shrink into like 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, fucking hell, I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I will do it during the winter when everything slows down. That's yeah. when I will kind of push some videos out there. Let's roll into that. I was going to ask you, ask you about your winter and your plans with the coaching. Like, are you going to try and go a bit full steam ahead or? Well, so right now with coaching, we are only limited to like BC, BC Canadian people. Yeah. Mainly we are, we didn't get any travelers like foreigners this year. Uh, and we all know that the winter in Canada is, uh, is winter. Yeah. So everything is slowing down now. Um, the plan would be in the future maybe to do some camps away. Yeah. Not in Canada. Right. But this year it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. So the coaching is gonna the coaching is gonna slow down. That's natural. But there is some uh, some other things. 
some other things during that time. So some other things that I need to uh, work on uh-huh. for the future. <laughs> Johan's being very secretive about <laughs> something special going on here. <laughs> um, cool. So with your with into the NAR. Yeah. Am I right in thinking it's not just you coaching? You've got other coaches working with you too? So we depend. It we um, The into the NAR experience is something that I uh, propose to my clients in the C2Sky for now. And I'm the coach. Okay. Then we've organized some skills clinic in uh, September, like twice a week uh, for two hours a night. And that was open for everybody. And we were working on skills, how to drop, how to jump, how to do like a nostern, how to do all these kind of things yeah. that you need to be a good mountain biker. Right. And we hired some coaches uh, for that. Then we organized the camp at the Cross Gravity Park 10 days ago. And we also hired some coaches okay. for that. So you do lots of different stuff. We uh, yeah, coaching coaching can uh, we can go anywhere yeah. like really. Yeah. The, the sky is the limit. Well, like you said, you could do trips. Have you coached in Mexico before? Did yeah. you have a coach? We did a we did a camp last year with uh, uh, Big Mountain, right. Chris Winter. Yeah, yeah. So in, you could uh, do more of that kind of stuff. In the Baja, there is also uh, Southern Mexico, Oaxaca. Oh, how do you say Oaxaca? Oaxaca, Oaxaca. Uh, these guys are interested in doing stuff there's a bunch yeah. of uh, cool little things that yeah. you can do so you could still travel you can still travel but right now we not right now but yeah, yeah not right now <laughs> yeah um, do you do you and your staff have certification like how do you operate that yeah so uh, in May end of May I passed my uh, PMBI Level one. Yeah. So basically, level one, it it's gives you the basics and the certification to teach beginners. Okay. And for insurance purposes, you need uh, some sort of a certification. Right. So level one is really uh, basic. With all my my years of racing and stuff like that, I can I can teach mm-hmm. to I think better riders than just beginners. Yeah. Which I do already. Yeah. But uh, I will I will pass in the future. I think next year, early uh, early spring, my level two. And uh, and maybe my level three as well. Just to have next it. year, just to just to have it, and it really like it's pretty interesting because it. At first, I didn't really have the knowledge on like, what's the what's the plan? How do you coach really? Right. You know how like do the you structure for how it. do you structure? How you do you? Uh, yeah. How, what do you, what do you see? What do you say to people? Yeah. And if really the level one really teaches you that. Mm. And I, it was, it was great. Right. It was super interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And that was, that's Paul. Is that Paul Howard? That yeah, that's, that's Paul Howard. Um, he does that. And some of the coaches that we hired are actually coaches who makes pass the certification to people. Oh, right. Yeah. So the coaches that we want are, we want coaches. Top coaches. Yeah. We want good coaches. Cool. Like you can be a racer, but sometimes a racer, you, if you don't have the knowledge of how to coach, you're not a good coach. Yeah. You can be an excellent rider, but you're not a good coach. Yeah. You're I was going to say give. that, like just being a good rider doesn't make you a good coach. No. We, um, I was really surprised uh, 10 days ago because I asked Brendan Howie to, uh, to come and coach for us as a, as a guest coach. When you were at Coast Gravity? Yeah, when we were at Coast and uh, super surprised by uh, Howie. Yeah. Like oh yeah, like huh. really. Uh, Howie, if you hear, uh, if you listen to this podcast, I want you in the team next year. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that already. No, it was a uh, yeah, super uh, super pedagogic, patient, uh, 
pretty pretty open you know how he is kind of known for yeah. being a uh, very uh, just you know, chill yeah and it's chill he doesn't really talk much but no he was he was super open and friendly and smiley and full of energy and it was it was great so I think he has uh, something to do here Huh. in the future cool yeah. what's he doing at Coast Gravity now is he still patrol kind of position there no he's so I don't really know what he does <laughs> <laughs> he's just a resident squatter on the hill <laughs> he doesn't work for the for the park over there he doesn't eh? no yeah uh, I think he's a I'd say he's a semi-pro he makes money with biking yeah and he, I think he has a part-time job somewhere here and there something if he needs a little bit of money he does that but he I think he's kind of chill yeah, how he doesn't have his, he doesn't live his crazy lifestyle, you know. It's it's cool. We might have to uh, get Howie on the podcast. I think I think you should. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a cool guy. I like him. Cool. <laughs> so you've got into the NAR. You're doing a whole bunch of coaching. How much do you think the current situation on that we're going through with COVID influenced that? Do you think you were kind of ready to go into that already, or was it? Was it expedited because of COVID? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it was... Um, so I started uh, the coaching business with Amanda, my business partner. We started to talk about it in uh, like really early, like January, I think. All right. And in, um, in March, we had... Uh, March, April, I think, we had the, uh, the license for the business. We were ready and everything. We were working on the website and we were ready to... Um, to start coaching i think april may right but then covid uh, covid started like mid-march i think it was yeah so we're like okay we're gonna actually take this time to like really you know pro prepare a launch and like really structure the website properly and do like really a focus on that and we when we launched it mid june we we didn't know really what to expect you know with covid like well, I was thinking that the uh, my clients will be more foreigners, like people from the US or from Europe or Australia, New Zealand, um, yeah, South America. Like we, right. uh, but uh, but with the global situation, you're like, mm, what's gonna happen? we we didn't know. Yeah. So we were like, if it goes slow and if we, if we don't have any clients, it's perfect. We learn. Yeah. You know, we are not wasting money here. It's just like it's all it's all good. Mm -hmm. But then right away we were super busy and I was like, well, it's actually perfect that there is no racing here because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh, it's busy. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, I guess you didn't have time to move, move out of the area once it got going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. No, it was, uh, it was cool. So actually, this whole period made us do things well with COVID. Right. And uh, actually think through more stuff and be more prepared. Yeah. Because I'm kind of like I'm kind of more of a free spirit kind of guy, and uh, kind of wing it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yeah, boom. But then uh, Amanda, my business partner, is more no. We have to do things uh, right. We can't uh, we can't fuck it up here. We can't wing it. You need an insurance. <laughs> you can't just do it like that. Yeah. Be <laughs> There's safe. all these little things that you need to think about that. Uh, yeah, that we needed to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> so it was actually perfect. Yeah. To wait a little bit longer, to take our time and do it properly. Because cool. I think all the people that we had, all our clients were are pumped. And some of them are already signing up to come back. And we had a yeah, few right. clients that are signing up and they come back regularly. So right. it's cool. Huh. So with that, like, 
are you looking at making it a big component of what you do next year? Or are we going to see Johan Borelli back at races next year? Well, so I, I've been racing for how many years? So 19 and 27 years. It's a long time. This is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really part of my life. And, uh, and I'm still going to race. I want to race. Yeah. I like it. Like I'm 35. I'm still, uh, when I go ride, uh, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to ride fast here. And then I ride fast. And I'm like, holy shit, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> so I really love it. Like sometimes I go and I do some shutters and I'm, I actually take one track and I do some time lapse. Like I, I time myself and I do like five, 10 laps back to back. Right. Just, just to get into the, the groove again. And I, I love it. Huh. So I'm, uh, I probably are going to see things a little bit different for next year. I'm probably not going to commit to a full Enduro series schedule, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do a few. I don't know which one yet. Right. Uh, and I want to do a few. Yeah. And well, some, I guess uh, at this point, we don't even know which ones will we don't be know. running. Yeah, so. we don't know. Yeah, we, do, we have no idea. So we, we'll, uh, we will see. But I want to, yeah, I want to race still with a different approach. It might be more, you know, kind of cool. Yeah. Might not be for the win. Yeah. Because before you were like, but I, I was really trying, you know, I, I was can. really trying, training hard in the winter and really committed. And, uh, and it was my, uh, that was my job, really. Yeah. Like now I don't really know what's my job. <laughs> <laughs> Am I a free rider? <laughs> Am I a, a racer? Free racer? <laughs> so yeah. uh, you still want to race, but you, it's more about, you getting that feeling of going fast and mm-hmm. and seeing how you're progressing or not yeah. uh, than it is to beat Richie or exactly whoever else. Yeah, I think the approach is, yeah, that will be the, the main difference. Right. I'm not going to show up. I never really showed up to a race to, to you know, to beat people or to, uh, or to win necessarily. It was really to... Uh, like, you know, when you, when you race and you get that feeling where you you know, you are in the zone uh-huh. and you don't even feel the pain. You don't feel the... You don't hear the people. You don't hear the people. Yeah. You are really like doing your thing and you know that you are going fast. You know that you are on a... You are doing a, a crazy run here. Yeah. And that's that's the best feeling in the world. Like, it's so amazing. Yeah. And so I, I want, the, you want, I want to experience that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one can complain about that. Yeah. And the funny thing, the funny thing is that we've coaching people my my goal now really with coaching is to show people that we can ride gnarly shit and make it look super easy right so really my focus now with people that i coach is to really execute everything perfectly even on like the gnarliest trails ever and i think just by doing that and like teaching like really looking at their position, where they break, where to release the brakes, how to position yourself into a corner, all these little things. I'm actually telling it to people. Then I demo it. Then they do it. Sometimes I demo it again. And it really forces me to execute well. Right. And I think that I'm actually improving. All right. Like really. Technically, I guess. Technically. Yeah. By a lot. So now when I see things, there, there is some stuff that I used to, to look at and like even a couple of years ago, I would look at that and I would say, I would never do that. Huh. But now I just show up to it. I look at it. I'm like, totally makes sense now. And I just do it. Huh. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. He's still progressing yeah. even at the level you're I'm at. I'm really progressing right now. 
it's, it's cool. Like, technically, I'm really progressing <laughs> in terms of like speed and fitness and stuff. I haven't been training, so I'm not progressing, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like this uh, ability to read the terrain quickly and to execute, totally, mm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Do you, do you think you will train? You said you're not training or anything like I that. I will train this winter. Yeah, yeah I will train. Yeah, yeah. Just not as much as you used to? Well, it's going to be a different approach. Like I think for the last uh, few years, I've been like really going hard at the gym in the winter and really kind of pushing away the biking a little bit to the side. Yeah. Really training physically. And I think my approach would change completely. It will be less strength training, like maybe twice a week, two or three times at the most, yeah. but riding a lot. Yeah. Really committing to riding and uh, getting the, the miles done and having this feeling on the bike. So is that, do you think that that mindset came from your experiences you were just talking about, how you're seeing yourself progressing in mm -hmm. technical situations? Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, we go, we go through phases in life. What, True. what used to work for me five years ago it doesn't mean that it, it will work now. Right. You know, like I'm, uh, I'm older or I'm younger. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mentally, I'm younger. But, <laughs> but um, no, the approach is, uh, is different and you need, to, uh, you need to adapt. Yeah. Like I think that back in the days, like five years ago, it was really like my focus was training out physically because I knew that I wasn't the best physically. So it was like really train, 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 train to get better. But I think that now we will be more like, okay, just ride your fucking bike, have fun, and just send it, open the gas. <laughs> so be strong, yeah. but really be... Uh, like if, if you take, for example, the example of Samil, mm -hmm. Sam, I don't think that he is the strongest rider in the, in the circuit, in enduro. Like fitness-wise and fitness stuff? Fitness-wise. Mm -hmm. I don't think he is. Yeah. Like if you look at Sam, he's, he's not... Uh, He's not like a, the most athletic guy. And I think like if we take his, uh, you know, wattage on the bike and like, you know, like I don't think he's, he's the best. Yeah, he's not pushing any records he's or anything. No, he would be very average plus. Hmm. But you put him on the bike yeah, and his ability to corner is like completely next level. Yeah. The guy can exit a corner way faster than anybody else. And he doesn't have to pedal as much. <laughs> so there is, there is something there. <laughs> Do you see that like as a, as a high level racer and rider yourself, do you still see that yourself when someone like Sam comes through? Do you go, oh shit, he's going really fast out of oh, that yeah. corner. So all the other guys are seeing it too. They're just like, wow, how does he do that? Yeah. Huh. Like we, I remember, I still remember this video of Sam in Chile three years ago was 2003 years ago, 2018. And he basically uh, blew everybody's mind. Huh. The speed that he, was, that he went in that section. Is this the open drift that the he The open did? drift that he's doing like for like yeah. 20 seconds. And I remember watching this video and I was like, holy shit. Like just in one section, this video section, he was probably five seconds faster than me. No way. <laughs> For sure. Wow. <laughs> and it's, it doesn't, I'll put this in the, in the story as well, but it doesn't look like an extremely technical section. No. But to ride it fast would be very hard. Just like so Chile, Chile, they call the, 
they call the, the ground, the dirt, the anti-grip. Yeah. There's no grip. Yeah. And the, the speed that he went through that, it was completely... Uh, yeah. Completely and he didn't look sketchy either. Not at all. <laughs> like in control for Sam. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Unreal. Buff wheel drift and stuff like that. Full out. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, uh, that's, that's what he does. The best kind of racing. <laughs> We, we don't really see cornering like that much anymore in the World Cups, eh? They're no. all like burns and... Yeah. There was a couple... Leger last year was Leger a was good example like of that. like the old school open turns. That was... Uh, watching uh, Amori, Amori's run, oh. like his helmet cam. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. I still have, I still have he almost died on that run Holy like three shit. times. <laughs> but you watch the GoPro and you're like, where do you almost... I don't see where he almost died. And he's like... There was a road crossing he said he almost died off it was, and it was, a bunch yeah. of other spots. Who knows? Crazy. Who knows what happens in his uh, in their head when they uh, they go that fast. Yeah, switched on, eh? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you find it do you find that zone because often racers talk about the zone and getting in mm-hmm. there. Obviously Omari and Loic and all those guys are masters of getting in there. Do you find that hard to get into yourself? Yeah. You do, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's not something that you uh, you you go just at the demand like that. Yeah. Like it takes a it takes a lot, and I think it's a yeah. It's just it's just a switch at some point. Yeah. And sometimes you can uh, you can run a full year without reaching that this feeling. Right. And I I think that's uh, when you overthink things. You know, you're really in your mind. Mm-hmm. You think too much. And I think that if you are like that, in this state, you will never get into the zone. Right. I think the zone is very like an intuitive kind of, kind of riding. Yeah. You're not thinking anymore. You just... It's just happening. In the moment. Yeah. And you, you... Basically, the trail in front of you is like a book and you are really reading everything as it comes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of... It's pretty cool. Yeah. Is that... Is that what gets you so excited to race? You think mm-hmm. it's like is the challenge of trying to get into that zone? Yeah, and I I think you can you can do it on like really small sections. Like for example, if you do like a big gap or something like that, if you are the first time the first one doing it, you know it's the first time you're doing it. There is nobody to show you. Yeah. You have to get into this zone. And sometimes with the stuff that I done this year, like I've got into I've gotten into that. Which was cool, you know. Mm-hmm. You you show up, you look at the like at the the takeoff, the landing, and everything has needs to make sense for me. That's how it kind of works. Right. Like I really go with the instinct, and then I get into my zone. I'm like, okay, I do a run, run in. I kind of check it. I'm like, okay, I think that's the speed I need, and then you go into that motion, and then. Zoof, Send it, land. You're like, holy fuck, that was you amazing. Snap out. <laughs> <laughs> you said you've been trying a lot of stuff like that this year, like, uh, ex- I guess, experimenting with your riding. Yeah. Yeah. How's that been going? Like, what are you, Am- what amazing. Are you learning? Yeah. What are you yeah. learning? Well, I've, I've been, uh, so again, with no, no traveling, uh, it, I think it opened me a lot of room to actually explore my backyard a mm-hmm. little bit more. And to discover some really uh, old school stunts that Richie Schley did, Brett right. Tippy, Wade Simmons, all these guys. And 
in Whistler, Squamish, Pemberton, you go a little bit off the beaten path sometimes and you, you see some stuff and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> they jumped here <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they, just, they don't need a lot of work. You know, yeah, you, right. uh, you change two things, you make it more rideable for our type of riding now and, uh, and it goes. And uh, it's been really interesting for me to do this kind of stuff and to really explore. And, and again, like, where is my limit here? Because things make sense. You know, like sometimes right. I see a jump, I kind of boom, 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 do a few things. And I look at it and I'm like, yeah, it goes. Like even if it's uh, like 30 feet tall too long, I'm like, that's a big, serious thing. And even on my trail back, I'm like, it's, it's fine. It goes. Huh. Boom. What's Done. That, what's that mindset? Are you pushing yourself here or is it just you show up and you feel it or you don't? No, it's, it's uh, really by feel. Hmm. Like there is some stuff that we are working on with one of my buddy, Odric, and a few big stunts. And we saw them for the first time. We kind of looked at them. I was like, this one doesn't make sense here. Hmm. That I, I can't really uh, make everything connect. Right. And we changed a few things and we are, we are almost at the end to finish one. And uh, so that's going to be probably next month. Huh. Big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to see that one? <laughs> yeah, you're going to see that one. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to see that one. <laughs> that's awesome. I want to go do the two-knee drop. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I think I'm going to go down to Vancouver and check it out again. Yeah. Just to see. Because I think the last time I saw it was like probably four or five years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, I was actually pretty pumped when I jumped the one on the side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a yeah, baby yeah. one. Which is still big. It's still big, but it's a, it's, it's a baby one. Yeah, what is it, half the, the size of the big one? was like not even. Not even. Yeah, sure. not even. The, the, big one is, uh, the big one is big. And the landing is very, it's sniper. Like it's a very shung, yeah. short landing. You sure. can't come too short. You can't come too long. You have to be perfect. <laughs> so I, uh, I want to go check it out. Just to see, just to see how I feel. You know, yeah. I, can, I can be at the top and be, oh yeah, it goes. That's my saying, actually. It goes. Well, it goes. <laughs> so if it goes, it's on. If it goes, it goes. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, we've talked a lot about sort of new direction and stuff like that. Um, but something we didn't sort of touch on was how the injuries might have come into play. We talked about sort mm -hmm. of COVID and all that sort yeah. of stuff. But you started cutting back on your racing around, you had your daughter, mm -hmm. but you also got injured around the same time, right? Yeah, last year. Last year in uh, oh, June. Last year was the knee. Yeah. But there was something before that, was there not? Oh, I had a few couple... Uh, smaller stuff. Small, smaller ones. But you know, like, I actually had a few. I think since I, start, I signed with uh, Comensal, 2017. Yeah. 2017. Even before, like the year before with Giant, I had a, I kind of sprained my thumb. I dislocated my, uh, my ligaments here on the, on the right thumb at the Mega Avalanche in Alpe d'Huez. Right. I had like few kind of little injury, you know, they take a month to heal. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you, a month off is like sometimes two or three races that you have to be out for. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it has been like kind of back-to-back -back years were like, boom, little injury. Yeah, it's felt like, like that. Yeah. First, the first year with Comensal in New Zealand, uh, I crashed and I had my, uh, my third butt. Oh, that's right. Yes, I, yeah. I completely... Uh, 
Yeah, completely. Massive uh, hematoma, right? Fucking hell, it was uh, it was insane. Like I had a, I had a really I had a third uh, third ass <laughs> after my three balls, I had three ass. <laughs> <laughs> and you still went to Tassie though. I right? still went to yeah, I still went to. But I was over there, and yeah. I was with the team, so we went over there with the to Tasmania, and uh, and it was like this. Um, it was the old commensal, and the rear end was really flexy. Okay. And we had, uh, I think it was I don't know what brand of axle we had, but they were very light and they were snapping. Oh right. And uh, and I remember like in uh, in New Zealand, one axle snapped. And then I went on the ground, and that's when my hematoma started. Oh. So I took a break before. That was one week before the race. Yeah. Took a little break, and then during the practice, it was pissing rain, roots everywhere, and then I crashed and fell on my hematoma, and it bursted. Oh shit! You say bursted or burst? Burst. Yeah. It burst. It burst, and then my my butt became huge, like complete, like massive, and uh, <sighs> went to uh, went to Tasmania. Uh, took a little bit of a break. Started the practice, did a jump during the practice, reaxle snapped again, oh, no. boom, back on the ground again. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, okay, we uh, need to uh, change that, and we completely changed all the axle of every bike, and the problem was solved for the oh, okay. for the future. Yeah, but yeah, it was uh, like every year there was there has been um, a little something happening. Mm. Yeah, until my the big injury last year, my knee. And that kind of forced me to do, uh, yeah, different stuff. Different stuff. Did that? Did that one have a bigger? Like, obviously, it's a bigger injury and a bigger mm -hmm. recovery and all that. But did it have a bigger effect on your mental side and everything as far as how you're approaching life and racing? Probably, and all that? yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of, uh, lot of changes from that, and I'm still uh, recovering from my knee. You are. Like eh? It's still not good. Huh? Yeah. My meniscus is not. Uh, it's not well. So there is a um, uh, like completely changing subject, but still linked to the knee. There is this guy, Andy, who runs across Canada picking up garbage, uh, who came here in, um, I think it was in May. He was uh, running through Whistler. Yeah. And then I decided on his way back to run from uh, Lillouette Lake all the way to Whistler. So it was more than a marathon. Right. And I haven't been, since my injury, the surgery, I didn't run at all. Oh, right. And and I've, I think I've never run more than 10K in my life. So I was like, I don't care. I'm going to do that. I'm, gonna garbage. To I'm, <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> and uh, I was fucked. I was completely fucked. Huh. And that's when I really realized, I was like, wow, my knee is not, uh, my knee is very not doing well. Huh. Like it's not good at all. So was it, was it still injured or you just did too much on it too soon? No, it was, uh, so that was almost a year yeah. after the surgery. So... So I think it was like it's supposed to be completely healed, but basically my uh, my meniscus on the inside is there is no more cartilage. Uh, so I'm bone on bone on the inside. Yeah. And I really need to be careful with like really uh, impactful repetition, impactful. Yeah. So basically it gets inflamed. And if it gets inflamed, I need to stop for like a few days. Yeah. And uh, last week, Andy came back for his fall uh, cleanup up on the highway. And I wanted to run from uh, uh, almost Squamish all the way to Pambi, uh, to uh, Whistler. Yeah. So another uh, marathon. Yeah. And after 25K, I had to stop. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No. Like, I couldn't do it. And uh, that was, yeah, maybe two weeks ago. And I'm still, 
I'm, yeah, I'm still uh, stiff. Yeah, it's still painful. Mm. Like it's still completely inflamed and uh, and not good. So I think that that's another thing with the racing. Eh? Like I don't think that I can commit to a full uh, to a full season. Mm. It's it's uh, it's not gonna work here. Yeah. It's too hard on the body. It's too think? hard. The, the 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 training is too hard. Like I can't really go to the gym and really train on that. Like I I think it's just gonna be too intense. Yeah. So uh, so it's gonna be like taking it easy. I might need a surgery uh, in the future. Yeah. But like right now, I can do everything I want. If you know, if I cannot take the time to, uh, if it gets inflamed, I need to take some time. Yeah. I need to rest. Just listen to your body. Yeah. Listen to my body. And uh, so right now it doesn't it doesn't block me in anything that I do. I can still send it. I can still write fast. I just need to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Be kind of patient when I need to be patient. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more, more impact that's yeah. doing the damage. But it's like the, you know, like the, uh, the when you the, run, you're slamming. You, you run, you're slamming <laughs> it and it's, it's probably moving. Like it's not, it's not good. And yeah. you run on the road and it's, it's, uh, it's shit. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried trail running to mix it up? See how that goes. Well, there is no garbage on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope not. <laughs> there might be... Uh, actually, that's funny because I noticed this year there's less garbage on the trails in Squamish even though there's heaps more yeah. people yeah. because we're not having any races. Mm -hmm. The races. Well, everybody puts everything on the road. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> toss it out of the car. Everybody, everybody <laughs> tosses shit on the car. Hey, guys, we need to stop that. We, yeah. we, can't, we can't do that anymore. Let's get into that. Like You're, yeah. you're a big advocate of... Um, cleaning up the environment, or at least the space that we're living in and using. Mm -hmm. How did how did that come about? Like it seemed pretty new, but I'm guessing you've been into it for a long time. But it's, it, the environment stuff is something that I always been kind of careful. Even though you know, when you're a racer, you kind of run a lifestyle that's completely contradicting your your values. Yeah, like you travel the world, your carbon footprint is pretty shitty. Sometimes you eat shitty food. Like it's pretty, uh, it's it's tough, you yeah. know. Like sometimes you can say things on social media, and then uh, and you get the backlash of people saying, "Hey, you kind of a dickhead, yeah." <laughs> it, but it doesn't mean that we uh, that we don't we can't do anything, you yeah. know. Like I can still have this lifestyle, lifestyle, and uh, and and do things for the environment. But at some point, it, it became. Uh, really hard for me also to kind of have these kind of discussions and saying these things on social media and doing all these things that I'm doing in Whistler, for example, garbage pickups and all this kind of stuff and still like traveling the world and like wasting a shit ton of stuff. And so I think that the, the reason also why I'm kind of stepping away from racing is for that. Yeah. But it's uh, like, it's, it's, it's kind of tough. Mm. So, you know, next year I will be racing again. I might travel if we can travel, but it will be like, I would like to find a way to, I don't know, to offset my carbon footprint. Yeah. Or maybe when I go to the races, organize some garbage pickups, which, which we were supposed to organize this year with right. the Enjoy World Series. Oh, we had cool. all this plan that at all the races, we will do like one day before the, like during the week or before the race. We would organize like a garbage pickup where everybody can be together, yeah. right? To top racers, locals, and uh, anybody. Yeah. And do like garbage pickups. That's awesome. So that, that was going to happen this year. That was going to happen this year. Then oh. everything got uh, shut down and yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if I if I do a few EWS, I would love to do that and maybe some other uh, some other things for like 
locally. Like, what can we do when we go to Colombia, for example? What yeah. when can we do to help? Yeah. Like, what can we do to help in Chile, for example? Yeah. Like, what's, what's kind of the message? That's like, really wanna, cool. Yeah, I don't want to travel just for the sake of racing anymore. Come and in, do your thing, and then and get it, out. And yeah, you go. leave no, your rubbish behind. Yeah, it would be cool if there is something, uh, something behind. Yeah, that's really good. Go to school. You know, you go visit some schools and kind of teach kids how to bike and do like some sort of clinics as well and stuff like that for yeah. free. Yeah. You know, it can be something um, help. really useful Community for help, community. Right? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of that in, in the uh, professional surfing world. I know. They, they, have, they like, do that. It's usually related yeah. to water. Yeah. yeah. They do a beach cleaning. They do that yeah. too, yeah. In the World Surf uh, League. Yeah. Last couple of years. Yeah. yeah that's a really good idea. I yeah. like that. You got to try. I mean, everyone needs to make a living. Totally. I love watching yeah. racing, so I need people to be going yeah. around the place yeah, yeah. racing. <laughs> yeah. Not just me. Everyone does, but well, lots of people too. Um, yeah, I had no idea about that. That's really mm-hmm. that's really cool. Is that working with Chris and uh, Chris and uh, Nat and each uh, organizers? All right, each each yeah. event. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but everybody, I sent uh, an email to all the organizers for uh, all the races this year. And everybody was pumped. Everybody, the response was so positive. It was it was super cool. Yeah. Like Colombia, Chile, France, Italy, everybody. Yeah. It was cool. Have you had any other ideas or thoughts about how to minimize your own carbon footprint? I guess but the idea is to become carbon neutral, right? It's the the idea is that, and it's a, like you know, it's a lot with uh, our education mm-hmm. and how we consume, really, yeah. like what what we eat what we consume, what we buy. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of way you can contribute. You can you can organize like little community event where you go pick up uh, people's shit. And uh, like the reason why I'm plant-based as well, like I'm not I'm not vegan. I don't really like to this. Uh, the label. The label vegan because it's, I think it's very, uh, it's kind of. <laughs> well, it's, it's got like a, I think that you can do things using animals in a nice way. Like, you know, if you go to see a little artisan, like he has, uh, he has like two cows and, you know, he does his own cheese and stuff like that. And the babies are still with the mums. Like there is no violence here. That's fine, I think, you know, but uh, it's just like the way, the way we consume. If we do, you can do a lot of things. If you do everything with moderation, I think there wouldn't be a lot of issues well way less issues on the planet right it's just that we over consume we always want more in every way too not just buying products like we overdo the amount of travel and exactly too many children and exactly yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. so there's a lot lot of little ways it's just like find your find your your cause Mm -hmm. and then stick to it for a little bit and try and then maybe this cause is going to become more natural and then you're going to be open for an, another cause and you know like it's a, it's always like a, a work in progress yeah you can't just like right away boom you, you cut do off every, you, we don't want perfection we want better yeah that's what we need in the world so we're talking about the amount we consume and and obviously the rubbish that comes with that for me, a lot of the struggle is the amount of plastic that mm-hmm. we see. Yeah. And uh, I feel like recycling right now is not enough. Like there needs to be something done higher up 
I don't know if we can do it ourselves as just like uh, pawns in the system or whatever yeah. you want to call us, but plastic just needs to stop because now you go to a grocery store, what can you buy that's not wrapped in plastic at some stage? Yeah, just everything's yeah, in plastic. Everything's, everything's in plastic. It's insane. It's crazy. Like it's, uh, it's, it's totally crazy. And I think that the, even the government, did, I don't know if... Do they really do uh, yeah. like recycling? Like how many how many percent of the thing that we recycle are actually recycled? Yeah. Like what's the? We don't know anymore. Do we they? don't know. Yeah. Like we don't know that. There's like stats a little bit here and there, but uh, we don't we don't really know. We do, we don't have any track of that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. The, the the one of the problem I think is that we because we overconsume everything and we don't recycle properly. There is so many, so like the amount of waste that we do is kind of crazy. Yeah. And at some point, we're gonna run out of resources. Like it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Mm. Yeah. We're, like it's we're, very real. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's gonna happen with the with gas. Yeah. It's gonna happen with all these things. But for me, it's the same. Like everybody goes like we have to go towards the electric, but the shit that we put in the batteries is the same. Right. You know, like it's like. We leaving one problem, gas, going to, going another, one. to another one. Yeah. So it's it. There is no there is no like one solution. I think there's a lot of different things that we can do again, and it's just like doing it, boom, slowing down. We just need to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's. You think it's COVID would have made us do that, but it hasn't really. No. More the, people the, are the, buying. The system doesn't uh, really allow us to slow down. Mm. We can't really. Like how, what, what, do we go back uh, like... Yeah, 200 years. Yeah, 200 <laughs> years ago. Like, <laughs> like what's the thing? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's a tough one. It is tough. Yeah. And it's, you, you're like, you want to say, don't buy things. Don't, don't buy anything unless you really need it. And then it's like, at the same time, a lot of us are working in some mm -hmm. capacity to sell things. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, and that's my job. Yeah. That's my job. Yeah. I'm basically brands pay me to sell products. Yeah. So I'm kind of <laughs> again <laughs> like it's not really. A but you ride a metal bike. I ride a I ride an aluminium bike. Yeah. And eighty percent of this aluminium bike, this aluminium frame that I have, I know that it's uh, part recycled. Oh yeah. Yeah. They actually do, eh? It, but they don't necessarily use recycled aluminium. But eighty percent of the aluminium that's in cycle right now is recycled. Oh, that's awesome. So there is 80% of my uh, my common here huh, that's recycled aluminium. That's really good. No uh, matter is what Is there a stat like that for carbon that you know of? Carbon is not uh, none recyclable. Of it, none of it's recyclable. There's a few process, but the process to recycle carbon is actually uh, more impactful than I thought just, I heard that, yeah. just uh, putting carbon in a landfill. So you can, you can um, downcycle carbon For example, a carbon frame, you could, you could actually cut it and make something else out of that. You can right. downcycle it, yeah. but you can't recycle carbon huh. right now. There's a few brands that do that. I think there is a, a wheel company. Uh, Revel or something like Revel, that. Revel, I think. And they have like this kind of process that yeah. they say that they can use recycled carbon and they can recycle their carbon. Yeah. But I I, it's the same. Like, what's the, uh, like in terms of price, like what's, Is it really, uh, we can do it, but do they actually do it? Yeah. Is it like, you know? How many people are actually sending their stuff back exactly. to Amazon? Yeah. yeah, we don't really know that. But there is there is stuff hmm. out there. 
there's there's a few little brands that are that are doing pretty cool shit like component stuff mm. like we uh, we partnered with a, like a fender company called uh, right guard and mm. all their fenders are made of uh, out of recycled plastic like oh. like discarded plastic that people people pick up from like right. roads and stuff like that yeah. yeah so they use this plastic boom and they make fenders out of it which is kind of cool so that's really cool but i've always had the question what happens to that product once it's like once your mudguard is done can they recycle that again somehow? you can recycle it yeah. yeah right so i think that the the percentage of plastic recycled i think is the same as aluminium it's 80 percent, something like that right so the plastic that you recycle there is 80 percent of it that's going to be recycled after kind so of what they say yeah that's what they say mm. so there is it's working well in, in some ways, <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> where we have it actually going back to a recycle center yeah yeah so a big part of what you're doing right now i guess is cleaning up the area you live in cleaning cleaning up the area i live in um trying to to reduce same like i don't really buy things really like mm -hmm. i try to really minimize that i try to buy secondhand stuff sometimes yeah and i think that's kind of cool yeah uh but yeah it's uh it's a work in progress and there's a lot of little things that we can do and uh there's a few little things that i will tell you about soon <laughs> <laughs> coming soon <laughs> but maybe you can tell us this is there is there another cleanup that you're going to organize in in the area in oh the there's a lot sky? yeah yeah there's a yeah. lot i think the the fall uh fall garbage cleanup is uh is starting we started it last uh, two weeks with andy when he was running here mm -hmm. and we uh we're actually gonna run more every couple of weeks we're gonna do one and i think monday monday next monday so is it thanksgiving yeah i think so. that's the first one that i organized last year oh really in, so, that's uh, the one year anniversary. so we're gonna do we're gonna do another one on monday and have uh, and see like sometimes nobody shows up really <laughs> is it weather dependent have you seen that trend at no all? it's actually you know what last year i think the last one we organized we had 40 people showing up wow and it was pissing rain like it mm. was cold it was miserable but people had a great time and the, the amount of garbage that we that we pick up is actually insane mm. like sometimes we we pick up one ton of garbage in like few hours wow from the road side of the road it's it's insane it's uh we will think that people these days are not tossing things out yeah, of their windows obviously they are but dude do you have you gone back to the same spot yet yes so that was another thing two weeks ago when i ran with andy and we uh entered whistler just before function and that's an area so basically the three kilometers south of whistler this stretch going down and going up yeah this is a stretch that we cleaned entirely last year entirely nothing like there. we cleaned everything from all the way down the ditches up everything we cleaned it entirely and we ran back with andy and it was even more dirty than the way we left it uh, last year a year ago wow and the funny thing is that last year during the winter we were when we were doing that we we're like holy shit but you know we were thinking what because of all the tourists all yeah, the tourists right. are here, nobody really cares. You know, they, they are in Whistler, they toss their shit. You know, the Muni is going to do it. But this year, we didn't have any tourists. And it's still messy. So the people that are dirty is, is us. It's Canadians. Yeah. It's us. Yeah. 
So it's really shitty. So it was it was really tough uh, two weeks ago of running and seeing that I was like, so we are not learning. We don't learn. Mm. We don't learn. Yeah. Like I was actually yeah. reminding myself, like you remember the, the the one month before, like during COVID, the first month. Yeah. Like it was stressful. Everybody shut down. Nobody was working anymore. Mm -hmm. Like Whistler was completely empty. Uh, but there was this wave of like people trying to reinvent themselves. Yeah. You know, like it was kind of cool. Yeah. Like everything was, everybody was at home. Nobody was doing anything, but trying to find ways to be creative and stuff like that. And I was like looking at now what we are doing like just today and we are completely back to normal. Yeah. And, and we, we're not in the, we still got COVID. We still we're have COVID, still but we are, we, we are back to normal. We are back in our everyday yeah. life. Nothing has changed. Yeah. And woof, we carry on. We haven't learned anything. Yeah. We just. I feel the same. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of, I think that humans, we are really good at reacting when we have a problem. Mm. We react and we adapt ourselves. But when we are the head in the wall, that we are good at doing that. But <laughs> to anticipate things, we are not good. Yeah. Right now we have all these signs and scientists telling us that we need to fucking be careful because shit's gonna happen. Yeah. But we can't make the change. It seems that we are completely blind. Yeah. Like what are we waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the uh, solution is, but I totally hear where you're coming from. Yeah. We we leave everything to the last minute. But yeah. Just naturally. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's the the solution really. Hmm. Can nuke ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty morbid, <laughs> but maybe it's the only way to save the planet. We're going to shred. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, I've had some people say, just stick your head in the sand. Everything's I know. Everything's negative right now. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know if that's it. Yeah. Huh. So with all that said, what's, what's next for Johan? What's next for Johan? So right now, I think I'm going to get dressed. And I'm going to go send a big jump because I need that. You're going to do it today? I'm going to do a... No, not, not the jump over there. I'm uh. probably going to go back to a, like one drop on ACDC that I restored uh, like a few weeks ago. Uh -huh. And I just want to go back to it and kind of do it again. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I need my uh, adrenaline rush at yeah. least uh, like every couple of days. Yeah. I need to do something kind of cool for myself. That's good. Kind of like that. But yeah, for the future, uh, we'll see. A lot of things. A lot of things in the works. The sky is the limit. <laughs> <laughs> and his lips are tired. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Yaron. Thank you. And with that, we finish the seventh and SMB podcast. If you made it this far, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Yaron Borelli. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and let us know what you think. You can also check nsmb.com for regular MTB content. We'll be back soon with a new episode for your listening pleasure. Until then, go ride your bike.